we're so glad to see you today and glad to welcome those worshiping with us online. Now, I wasn't here last Sunday. Did anybody notice? Nobody noticed. Nothing happened. Okay, great. Well, I'll take off more Sundays. I preached at the beach last week, and I preached on David, and it was a part of this series, and today I'm going to be preaching on Joseph. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, but this past week something happened. Do you know what it was? It was spring break. Did anybody experience spring break this week? Were there any people in town? Were there folks on the highway and in the restaurants? How about at Publix? Were there people standing in the aisle just oblivious that you were trying to get by? But I'm not bitter. So, you know, there's a, <laughs> a lot of that going on during spring break, but I wasn't even in town. See, you didn't know that either, right? You, you don't pay much attention to me. So anyway, Laura and I and our two daughters and our son-in-law and our granddaughter, we all went to Disney World. Yeah, that's where we went. For spring, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, if you've been during spring break and lived to tell about it, I'm, I think we ought to have a club. I think we ought to have a club, and it's hard to get in, but once you get there, you feel like you've done something. You know, I don't know what you've done, but you've achieved something. Because let me just tell you, there's a lot of walking involved. Have you noticed? You go and you stay in the resort, but you've got to walk to the bus, okay? And it's not quick. It's, it's not close. Or you have to walk to the Skyliner, the Skyliner, to take the Skyliner, well, that takes forever. Then you have to get to the park. Then you have to walk from there into the park. Then you have to do all the stuff in the park, right? And you start early in the morning. You go to late at night. And then you have to go swimming because you got a five-year-old, right? Honey, buddy, let's go swimming. It's freezing out here, but doesn't matter. She's got the heated pool. We're going in. We're having a big time. We're at Disney World. And she rode every, every roller coaster there. No fear. Not, hands up in the air went crazy. Never been before. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Five days that we were there Monday through Friday all day long. And, and we walked at least 12,000 steps every day. But one day we walked 21,000 plus steps. And, and I thought Laura was going to have to carry me. I, th I thought we were, it was one time when I wasn't sure. And so here's what I've decided. How long has it been? Have you been recently to Disney World? How many have you been recently? How many have you been a long time? Okay, well, get ready, because here's the deal. you got to carry a backpack now with a lot of water, because they'll charge you a whole lot of money for it. And, and uh, thank God we paid for a lot of stuff up front. We paid for the resort up front. We paid for the tickets up front. We did all that stuff early. And then all we had to buy was food and gasoline. And the prices have gone up. Have you noticed that? And the prices of food there are not cheap. And, you know, they've got you. What, what can you do? So you've got all that stuff you have to take care of. But I'm going to start a business. Now that I've been, uh, it's, it's new to me at 65. And, he, and I wanted to let you in on the ground floor because we're going to make a killing. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to buy a bunch of really nice, comfortable, soft chairs. They're going to have cushions on the bottom. They're going to have a back. There's going to be an armrest. There's going to be a fan. It's going to be in the shade. And I'm going to rent those chairs out to old people like me while they're watching their grandchildren ride stuff. And we'll make a fortune because everywhere I went, I had to sit on concrete. And I had to lean forward because there was no back. And I had that backpack and my neck was killing me. And I was really, and my feet, you know, I wasn't sure. Can I levitate to the next place? Do I have to walk? And so all those different parts, we hadn't been there in forever. Um, you know, and it was three times as much as it was last time we went 20 years ago. Three times as much now. So save your pennies if you're going back. 
I can only go every 20 years because I can't take it physically, but also I can't pay for it. I have to spend 20 years paying it off, you know, and then going back. So anyway, we went, we saw, we conquered, we had a blast. Collins did not want to leave. She loved every minute of it. And uh, I'm just telling you, we got a lot of exercise in. And you would have thought that I would have lost weight, correct? Oh, nay, nay, because here's what happens. You go to all these, these meals. They have these meals that you have to go to because they're character meals. The characters come out, right? And, and so they have breakfast meals like that. They've got lunch meals like that. And you've got to see them all. You can't miss it. And so we went. We went to, we went to all of them, buddy, and we ate whatever they had. And, and, and I'm living proof. I've got evidence to show it. There you go. Okay, well, you received the benediction. We're pretty much wrapped up on that. <laughs> My, my week at Disney World, right? Okay, so we, we've been on this series. Last week, I asked the integrity question. I was out at the beach. I preached out there, and the question was, am I being honest with myself? And you have to add this word at the end, really. Am I being honest with myself, really? Because who do we lie to the most? Ourselves, that's right, and I can prove it. How many of you have ever said to yourself, I am losing weight? Anybody in here say that? And then you get on the scales and it's not so, but you tell yourself every day, I'm losing weight. Did you notice I'm losing weight? You're not losing weight. You lie like a rug because we lie to ourselves. So we have to say, really? And then the second thing is today, um, the legacy question. And the legacy question is, which story do I want to tell? I've got options. I've got a good story and a bad story. And my decisions today affect what happens to me later. So I've got to make the right decisions. And so we've talked about, there's five questions that we're going to ask. Okay. So we've talked about the first two just briefly today. So if you answer these accurately and honestly, and if you act on them, then you'll make better decisions and have fewer regrets. Now, I, well, last week I said Proverbs 27, 7 or 12 says this. It says, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. And so your future, it can be a preferred future or a future that you want to avoid. And that scripture sums it up right there. And so we try to respond in that way. Now, which story do you want to tell about yourself? Make your story one worth telling. And here's the good news. You get to decide one decision at a time. You don't have to make all your decisions. You just have to make one at a time every day, each day as you face them. And here's what we're going to do. So let's, let's say this is one story that's out there. Let's say, for example, that your boss asks you to lie and do something dishonest at work, and you say no, and you get fired. Is that a good story or a bad story? Well, well, I'll tell you. I'll just tell you. It's, it's a bad story that you got fired, but it's a better story than it could have been if you'd gone to jail, right? Because you can't do things. I had a guy that was in the church I served, and he worked for this guy, and he was the financial officer. The boss was the big boss. The boss said, I want you to sign this piece of paper. And he said, I'm not going to sign that. That's dishonest. That's not true about our finances. He said, no, you sign it or you're going to get fired. He said, I'm not signing it. So he got fired. 
And everybody in the company knew it. And, and I remember I met with him. I prayed with him. We talked. But eventually he got a new job. But that guy, the boss, who wanted him to sign that piece of paper went to jail. And the next guy who took his place in that job, who did sign the piece of paper, he went to jail too. So was it a good story or a bad story? Well, it turned out to be a good story because he didn't go to jail, right? Or how about this one? You met a guy and he's just kind of okay. And there wasn't anybody else on the horizon. And you knew he really wasn't the one for you, but you decided to date him anyway. And two years later, the whole thing just evaporated. And it's pretty much a story that you hope nobody finds out about him. You just like to take that chapter out of your life and not have to tell that part of your story. Or how about this one? Your friends wanted you to go out and spend time with them and have dinner and have fun. But no, no, you stayed home and you studied for big exams that you have coming up, midterms, and you aced your exams and you did well. That happened to our daughter, Catherine, recently, and she had to make a decision and she had the highest grades in the class. I was so impressed. She takes after Laura, by the way not just her looks, okay? So anyway, uh, she did that and she did well. That's a good story. And the point is this, every decision that we make has an outcome. And so you're writing your story all the time. What story do you want to tell? Now, what you want to have happen in life is you want to be able to tell your entire story. You don't really want to have any gaps, but sometimes you do. Sometimes there's stuff that happens that you wish hadn't happened. Sometimes you made a bad choice. Sometimes things, no, no fault of your own, things happened to you that, that were bad things that you experienced. And so you'd rather just skip that part, but it's a part of your story. So what you have to do then is you have to make a mid-decision um, choice. And that is, what story do I want to tell? Because we get distracted by something. Do you know what that something is? It's our emotions. Our emotions, sometimes we know this is what we ought to do, but our emotions say this is what I want to do. And so then we got this battle going on and we have to decide which way am I going to go? Am I going to follow my head or my heart? Are my emotions involved in this? And so we have to make a decision there, right? And, and the worst decisions that we ever make are the ones that are just all wrapped up in emotion and we don't even consult our brain about them. We get distracted by emotions. So here's what happens. We let the immediate dictate to us over the ultimate because we don't really, it's right here in front of me, it's now, this is what I wanna do, so I'm just gonna make this decision. It's an immediate decision. But ultimately down the road, it's not part of the story I want to tell. And so let's take, for example, you're in retail sales. And if you're in retail sales, you know that you never want the customer to leave the showroom, the store, the place of business, because if they do, what's going to happen? While they're there, the emotional appeal, appeal is really strong. I'd like to buy this product. But then if you leave, what happens is your brain kicks in and starts saying, yeah, but it costs this much money and I don't really want to pay that much money for it. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put that on hold and I'm going to wait, right? And so your emotional appeal subsides. I used to sell knives door to door when I was in college. I was very successful at it. I would go up to the door, ring the doorbell. They would answer the door. I'd put a knife to their throat. 
want to buy a knife? They all bought. I don't know why, but they all bought. Now, these were great knives. These were Cutco aluminum, wherever products. My Yeah, yeah. My mother has still got a set of these knives. I wish I had the knives. They're really good, and, and I was very good at it. I, I sold those things door to door, and, and, and that's not easy, by the way. You couldn't do that today. You, you can't even get in the community because it's gated. It's gated. Can't get in. And it's hard to sell knives from the, from the gate when people are driving by. What about knife? See, I mean, that's not going to work. And so it just didn't work. Now, here's the deal. That emotional kind of thing that subsides, uh, you know, that wants us to focus on that. The psychologists have actually named that dynamic. Do you know what it's called? It's called focalism. It is. It's called, fo I didn't make it up. It's called focalism. That's actually a thing. And if you've ever been in love, you were a victim of focalism. It's just all emotion, right? And you're in love and that's just, now here's a tip for you. When you're about to make a decision, you need to press pause. You need to phone a friend. You need to talk to somebody and get somebody to help you because you might make an immediate decision over an ultimate decision because of that emotional appeal. Consider the story that you want to tell and who better who better to look at in the Bible for the legacy question than Joseph? Joseph is a great story and a great thing for us to follow, a person for us to learn from about a legacy because he has a great one. In 1800 BC, 17 year old named Joseph, he was the 11th of 12 sons and he was in a no-win situation, not of his own making. Now this is a theme all the way through the story of Joseph. He's always in a bad situation he didn't create. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't cause it to happen. He didn't make a bad choice, but he is. His father, Jacob, loved him more than he loved his brothers because his mother, Joseph's mother, was his favorite wife of the wives that he had. And so he favored Joseph. In fact, he gave him a coat of many colors. His brothers were jealous of that. It was a really nice coat. Now, if it were today, it would be a name brand coat. What name brand would you like to use? I'll let you play along. What would it be? I'm sorry? Louis Vuitton. We have got to increase your giving. Because you've got expensive taste and you're going with Louis Vuitton. Same thing happened in the first service. Pierre Cardin, I'm going to be talking to him after later on. He's going to have to give more money. I'm just telling you, that's the way it works out. So they're jealous of Joseph. So what do they do? Well, they want to kill him. He goes to see him. He's got on his coat. He's showing off. And they say, let's kill him. And the other brother talks him out of it. They get into the, put him in a pit. And while they're thinking it through, they say, okay, we won't kill him. We'll just sell him into slavery, but we're going to go home and tell our father that he was killed by a wild animal. And now these 10 brothers have made a decision, and they've got a secret that they've got to live with for the rest of their lives. They've all got to stick with this secret now that Joseph really is not dead. We beat up our brother. We sold him into slavery. Then we went and told our dad that he was dead. Is that the story you want to tell? That's the story you want to leave out. That's not the story you want to tell. And so what happens to him is that he's put on the auction block in Egypt and he's purchased by a military officer named Potiphar. And now he's got a decision to make. 
through no fault of my own. I'm now in Egypt. I've got to be a slave here. So I can either just try to get by, do the least I possibly have to, because after all, it's not my fault. I didn't cause this to happen. Or I can make the best of a bad situation. I'm going to try to be the best I can. I'm going to be a positive influence. I'm going to do the best I can in this particular setting where I am, where I'm located. And that's what he chooses to do. He makes the right choice. Now, that's an interesting dilemma for a rich kid who grew up his father's favorite son, not to just be spoiled and say, no, I'm not, I, this is not fair. I'm not being treated fairly. He just said, I'm going to make the most of it. And he went and did that. And because of that, he was working in Potiphar's household and Potiphar begins to take notice of Joseph. And he says, there's something different about that young man and I'm impressed with him. And I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give him a position of authority because he's just different. He's a leader. I can see it in him. And he puts him over the entire household. So yeah, he is a slave, but, but he's making good choices. He's telling a good story. And, and then his life intersects with Mrs. Potiphar. And she is trouble, okay? Because Joseph is young, he's good looking, he's athletic, and this woman is looking at him every day and she's saying to him, I want to sleep with you. And he's going, no, 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 that can't happen. You know, no way. And she just keeps on and she keeps on. And so he's got a choice. He, through no fault of his own, once again, he's in a no-win situation. And Potiphar's wife insists that he be her lover and he's got two options. He runs out of the house and, and he leaves his coat there, and she takes the coat and, and, uh, is, that he's wearing, and she says, see, see what happened? He tried to rape me, and that's what happened. Now, this decision that he's got to make is not just a moral issue for him. This is a life or death issue for him because he's a slave, okay? Here's what he does. I'm going to paraphrase the first part of this, and then I'll read the second part. Essentially, he says, Mrs. Potiphar, I came to this land. I was a slave. I had no right, no future. Your husband purchased me, and now I'm here to serve him and you. And through hard work and diligence and through God's help, I've gained the trust of your husband. He's put me in charge of the entire household. In other words, my story is turning out well. And then he says this in Genesis 39. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. And Mrs. Potiphar, you really need to think this through. Do you really want to have an affair with a Hebrew slave? Do you really want that to be a part of your story? And then Joseph goes on and steps back with a broader perspective as well. And he asks this question. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I'm not going to add adultery to my story. In other words, which one of these stories do you want to tell Mrs. Potiphar? And which one of these stories do I want to tell? I only have two options. Story number one, I remain faithful to my God and to my master, and my story just gets better. Story number two, I, I, I betray his trust, and, and I betray God's trust, and then I disappoint both of them, and my story gets worse. Which story do you want to tell? And that's the thing. You might be in the middle of trying to make a decision today, and it's a big decision. And it's a hard decision. And maybe your head is pulling you this way, but your heart is pulling you this way. And you've got to decide, what are you going to do? What story do you want to tell? 
Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to rape her. He's thrown into the prison, to, to a dungeon. Now, here again, through no fault of his own, this guy is put in a bad situation. He, he, and what are you going to do in prison? I'm going to give up, right? No, that's not what he did. He said, I'm going to try to have a good attitude. I'm going to try to make the best of a bad situation. And he wins the favor of the prison warden. He just watches him. He sees the way he carries himself and conducts his life. He says, okay, I'm going to put you in charge. You're somebody who's trustworthy. You're a leader. I can work through you. And several years later, don't skip that part too quickly. He's in prison. Several years go by. He just keeps doing what he's always done. He just keeps making the right decision. And he finds himself one day ushered into the Pharaoh's throne room because somebody remembered who'd been in prison before. Oh yeah, I was supposed to tell you about this. There's a Hebrew who can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh has this big important dream and he thinks it has implications for his country, but nobody can explain to him what the dream is all about. And so he brings him in and what, you know, everybody's watching. The whole crowd is in there and they're waiting. And there are certain things you do in the presence of the Pharaoh and certain things you do not do in the presence of the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh says, young man, can you interpret dreams? And Joseph said, no, sir. And they're all going, that's the wrong answer. Don't say that. He said, I can't. But he said, my God can and that's a really bad answer because Pharaohs considered themselves gods. And he's saying, you know, yeah, you may think you're a god, but my Hebrew God, he can interpret the dream. And they're all going, they're looking at each other and the music changes and everybody in there is going, it's over. He's done it now. But on that particular day, Pharaoh was more curious than he was furious. And so he says, Okay, tell on. Tell me what you're about my dream. So according to Joseph, he says, here's what's going to happen. We're going to have seven years of plenty. There's going to be plenty of grain. There's going to be the most abundant harvest in history that we've ever had in our country. There's going to be so much we just can't possibly use at all. But he said, then it's going to be followed by seven years of great famine. It's going to be the worst famine that you've ever experienced. And, and you have to have grain because that was their staple. That's what they ate. That's what they lived on. Everything they made was from that. And so how are they going to deal with it? And so Joseph gets finished telling the interpretation of the dream. And everybody there in the throne room is going, well, he made it this far, but now he's going to be escorted out and taken back to prison. And Joseph does something that you do not do in front of the Pharaoh. He gives him some unsolicited advice. He turns to the Pharaoh and he says, listen, while I'm here, there's something I need to tell you about this. He does the unthinkable. Nobody gave the Pharaoh unsolicited advice, especially a foreigner who still smells like the prison, right? But this is what he does. This is the advice. He says, Pharaoh, you need to appoint somebody who gets up every morning and all he does is focus on how we can take care of all the seven years of plenty. How can we can set grain aside so that we'll have enough for the seven years of famine? He said, get somebody that you trust. Get somebody smart who knows how to do that. Put them in charge, and then the, the country of Egypt will be blessed. 
And he's in the throne room and everybody's just waiting for the horror that's going to happen for this arrogant Hebrew who would dare to give the Pharaoh advice. But then in Genesis 41, it says this. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Wow. In other words, I can see God's spirit in you. And when people see God's spirit in you and me, then we have influence. We have favor. God gives us that position and we use that for his glory. And so then he says, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And in one fell swoop that day, Joseph becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Why? Because even though he was treated unfairly repeatedly, he just kept making good choices, making good decisions, looking at the long haul, not just the immediate, but the ultimate. He decided well. And seven years later, sure enough, he had stored up enough grain. And now the famine comes and the people of Egypt come and he's got enough to take care of them. Not just the people of Egypt. The surrounding countries are in the famine. There's no place for them to go. They come and there's plenty for them as well. He takes care of everybody, including his brothers. That's where the music changes again. And they arrive. But here's what happens. They don't really notice Joseph. They don't really recognize him because it's been 13 years. He was 17 when they sold him into slavery. He's 30 years old now. They haven't seen him in 13 years. He's grown up now. But also, the Egyptian people, they wore all little, they kind of all had a little makeover, had a little makeup stuff going on. Have you seen the movies? Are you familiar with this? Do you know the name Yul Brenner? Okay, let's move on. But in the end, Joseph finally identifies himself to his brothers and they're scared to death. I mean, they are begging for mercy because in their mind, if they were in his shoes, they would penalize Joseph because of what he did to them, right? They would probably have him killed. And so they're just waiting to be killed. But here's the point of the story. Joseph wasn't like his brothers, what did he do? Throughout his life, Joseph refused to react. He thought it through and he always responded appropriately. And he avoided becoming like the people he didn't like. He decided against the gravitational pull of bitterness. And now that he's got the power, he chooses to tell a better story. He's writing his story right now. He decided that the story he was going to tell was one worth telling. And he decided revenge would not be a part of his story. So now that's the thing. You and I have to decide, are we going to tell a story worth telling? Are we going to make the kinds of decisions that affect us ultimately and not just immediately and not just us, but those around us that we influence as well? In fact, in, in Genesis 50, it says this to his brothers. He thought, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What you meant for evil, 
God meant for good. And so even when people treat you unfairly, even when people attack you, even when people are ugly to you, you don't, you don't have to be like them. You can choose to respond as God would have you respond. And let me tell you, when you do that, the world sits up and takes notice. They pay attention. They see it. And they say, there's something. I see the Spirit of God in that person. I'm attracted to that. It's appealing. It's winsome. I want to be more like that person. Which brings me back to you. What story do you want to tell? Make a decision. Make it today because you're going to have be faced with decisions in the future. And if you've already decided today, hey, I'm not going to just look at the immediate. I'm going to look at the ultimate. Then when that comes along, you can just remember that and decide, you know what? I'm going to take my time. I'm going to phone a friend. I'm going to contact somebody. I'm going to take a time out and push pause and make the right decision because there's nothing worse than having a part of your story that you don't want to tell. And then decide accordingly. Write your story one decision at a time, one day at a time, and write a good one. Now next week, we're going to pick up on the third question, and it is the conscience question. The first week was integrity. Second week, legacy. Third week is conscience. You can go online and watch these. And, and we want to do all five of the questions because when we do all five of the questions, then we'll, we'll make better decisions. We'll have fewer regrets. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for inviting us into your story. Give us the wisdom and the courage to pause and think beyond the immediate and the, to the ultimate. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us in our future. And we pray for all of this in the matchless name of Jesus. And all God's children said,